hindered, not hopeless. I hope you'll get the sense of that as we go through the passage. Sometimes when we are hindered, it feels like we're accomplishing nothing. But that's not necessarily the case as we're going to look. Is that we have a hope to, is living in hope, and the whole emphasis in the book is that we have a hope to live by and we look forward to the coming of the Lord. He is our hope. But starting in verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. In Psalm 83, the first five verses, Asaph uh, has written a song, a, a, a song of lament, really, crying out to God. And he writes, and he writes, O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And O God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant. Israel is facing a time like that which this psalm tells of and as Roger Ellsworth notes, uh, God is so bound up with his people that everything that is directed against them is directed against him. That's why Asaph was able to say to God, those who hate you have lifted up their head. Your, their head. And later he adds, they form a confederacy against you. The present battle between Hamas and Israel is not just a political battle between two people, groups, or races and nations, as the media likes to portray. But it is a spiritual battle between heavenly force, fulfillment of God's forces that wish to wipe out the possibility of fulfillment of God's prophetic and redemptive calendar. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's ironic that uh, 
Israel stands accused by many of genocide against the Palestinian people, while on the other side, the popular cry being incited in rallies around the world is from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, effectively a cry for the wiping out of the Jews. But ironically, God said to Israel in Exodus 23, 31, I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. Now, our passage this morning is not about the present conflict, but it is a reminder that we too at times will experience the opposition of the spiritual forces uh, that Paul talked about in Ephesians 6.12 and we're always caught up in that, that spiritual battle, that force of darkness trying to thwart the purposes and the plans of God. In the previous verses, Paul had talked about the opposition from the Jews of Thessalonica and how they had hindered the spread of the gospel and contributed to the Thessalonian believers' present suffering at the hands of their own people. And he tells them three things in this passage that I want you to, to observe. The first is that he has, they're the general thoughts there, but he has a yearning in verse 7. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. In contrast to those who opposed Paul and Silas and had been persecuting the Thessalonians, Paul expresses his utter heartbreak over having been separated from his spiritual offspring. He shares his heart to let them know how much he cared about them and how he would come back and be with them at a moment's notice if he could. Recall Paul's mission to Thessalonica, Thessalonica was abruptly cut short when the Jews fermented a riot and then blamed Paul and his followers for causing trouble, resulting in their expulsion from the city. The missionaries left Thessalonica against their will in the face of that persecution. We read of it in Acts 17.5, but the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking them to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The Jews were seeking to kill him, and his friends in Thessalonica had helped Paul and, and his friends in Thessalonica had helped Paul and Silas escape by night. And when he was forced to leave the city, it was difficult for the new church, but it was also wrenching for Paul himself. The New American Standard has it this way, having been taken away from you. The ESV puts it this way, since we were torn away from you. And the New American Standard, the 2020 version, the later version, says, having been orphaned. It's from a word, Greek word, apophonizomai. <laughs> Don't try to get your tongue around that. 
but it's a word that is intensely passionate. You see, it was a sudden and violent separation. And as I studied this during the week, the stories of the families torn apart by the October 7 massacre and meant much of the follow-through and the deep grief in Israel at the moment loomed large on my thinking. The raw pain of suffering and separation that's not to ignore the suffering of families torn apart by the events in Gaza as well. Jesus said this in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Orphanos, where do we get orphans from? I will come to you. And Paul understood, as did the new believers, that he may not be able to return. He loved them and he longed to see them and be with them. He wanted disciple, to disciple them and help them grow in their faith. You might know the hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. It has a line that says, When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. It was written in the late 1700s by a man named John Fawcett, who was orphaned at the age of 12. He was saved under George Whitfield's evangelistic preaching and he went on to be a pastor of a small church in England. He was later called to pastor a larger church and he accepted the call, but when he preached his farewell message to his small church and as the believers there wept and expressed their gratitude and love for him, he ended up staying there for the rest of his ministry. We read earlier of Paul's love and gentleness among them like that of a nursing mother and of his affection for them as a loving father. And it suggests that a deep, there is a deep distress at their involuntary separation. He left them with great reluctance. He was heartbroken about being taken from them, especially in their infancy in Christ. As Stephen Cole says, if we truly care for one another... We will want to be together to strengthen and encourage one another spiritually. But Paul puts it into perspective. He says for a short while, some think, well, you know, he's only meant it was a short time. But I think there's an element of saying that even as he does in Romans 8.18, that even our, our, our suffering is for a short time compared to eternity. It's a short time, yet to the Thessalonians it may have seemed like an eternity. And it may have been possible back. They're thinking they're beginning to wonder. Perhaps others were mocking them. Why does he not come back? Does he not care for them? And we need to always have an eternal perspective. Part of enduring any trial is the recognition of its brevity compared to eternity. In Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And you notice he says they're apart in person, but not in spirit. He says we're, we're all the more eager. It's a great desire to see your face. It's literally in face, not in heart. In his heart, in his own inner affections, he's right where with them, even though he doesn't see their faces. Have you experienced this with fellow believers? 
You can be parted from them for a time and not see their faces, but in your heart, you're right there, they're right there with you as you remember them and pray for them. But at the same time, you long to see them face to face again. Paul wrote to the Galatians, troubled about, uh, you know, you remember he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he writes to them in Galatians 4.20, But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Some things can't be communicated adequately except in person. You can't read somebody's body language or perceive their intentions in an email, and it's often possible to either get it wrong or to be struggling to understand why they've written what they've written. And he says that it was with great desire, it's earnestness, a great zeal. Uh, the New English translation says, we, we became all the more fervent in our great desire to see you in person. The New King James and the ESV actually translate here, we endeavoured. MacArthur writes that a longing that this is a longing that did not derive simply from the sentiment of friendship and socialization, but his sense of responsibility for their spiritual warfare. He mentions a similar thought in Colossians 4:13, speaking of Epaphras, for I testify here for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Ministry is not about name or fortune or power or influence. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about relationship. And Paul is longing to be able to continue the work and to encourage them in person. And there is a grief both in him and in the Thessalonian believers that he's not there because he's been hindered. Verse 18, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. John Stott notes he had made repeated efforts to return to them. They were endeavouring, working through in their minds how to make a return to Thessalonica to see those believers again. Perhaps with some of the folk you've been absent from, you think about a trip to go and see them, to encourage them or just to be there with them. Steve Zeisler says, time and again in this short section, Paul refers to the absolute necessity he feels, the burden he carries to be with these people, to be able to put his arms around them and to speak to them face to face, to enjoy their company and to serve and show his love for them. This is a much different proposition than saying, well, let's be on one another's prayer list. That's very important, but it's certainly way short of this inability to endure being separated from his friends that Paul expresses. How important it is to spend time with those people whom God has given us for special relationships. And he says, and yet Satan hindered us. As David Guzik notes, it wasn't that Paul didn't want to visit the Thessalonians. It was that Satan hindered Paul and his associates. And Paul assured the Thessalonians that he desired to be with them, but he was hindered by Satan and that this happened time and again. 
It's interesting because the word translated hindered in copto is a military term describing the breaking up of bridges and roads to make an invading, invading army's progress as slow as possible. We think about, you know, the West has been somewhat critical of Ukraine's slow advance uh, in taking over territory because last year during the spring they made a rapid advance in the Kharkiv area, uh, Russia having faltered, but over the winter Russia was able to build massive defences and, and uh, uh, defence lines and minefields and it's been heavy work for them making progress against the Russians, but they have been making progress. Uh, in Israel, as Israel's gone into Gaza, the, the tunnels have been a, a, a hindrance to accomplishing the goals of Israel's overcoming the terrorist uh, regime of Hamas. And so you get the sense that Satan has put everything he can in the way to stop. We don't know what it is. He doesn't tell us what it is. Some people surmise that it may have been the bond that... Uh, uh, that Jason had to put up to, uh, to, to defend against the accusations against Paul. Uh, doesn't quite stick with me there, but I, we don't know. Now, Satan, the word Satan means adversary. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised that we have an adversary. Now, some people see Satan in every little hiccup that goes on in life. Oh, Satan's having a go at me. And I'm sure many times it's the vagaries and sufferings of human life. Sometimes it's, it, it's the bad choices and decisions that we've made and we put it down to Satan rather than <laughs> recognising our own struggles. But we are in a spiritual warfare and we do have an adversary. And he continually attempted, as John MacArthur notes, he continually attempted to tear down the church that Christ promised to build. He was said to be present at the churches of Jerusalem in Acts 5, 1 to 10, of Smyrna in Revelation 2, 9 and 10, of Pergamum in Revelation 2, 13, of Thyatira in Revelation 2, 24, Philadelphia in Revelation 3, 9, and Ephesus in 1 Timothy 3, 6 to 7, and Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2, 1 to 11. He thwarted Paul in the sense that a military foe would hinder the advance of his enemy. Paul says in Romans 1.13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit also blocks sometimes for, purpose, for his purposes, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, Steve Zeisler notes, Satan is committed to keeping us from having deep and valuable Christian relationships. There's a war going on, and one effect of that war is to keep Christians from being able to love each other in that appropriate sense. As MacArthur notes, examples of Satan opposing the kingdom of God, he tempted Christ. To deceive, he opposes the gospel. He performs counterfeit miracles. He seeks to deceive believers. He perpetrates lies and murders. He attacks individual churches. He especially attacks spiritual leaders. Now, Paul does get to come back to Thessalonica. He's hindered at this time, at the time of writing, but in Acts 20, 1 to 5, it describe, describes Paul's eventual return to Thessalonica and to other churches in the area. 
to come. Notes this, supposing that we have ascertained that hindrances in our way really come from Satan. They're not the normal hiccups, but they are hindrances from Satan. What then? He says, I have but one piece of advice, and that is go on. Hindrance or no hindrance in the path of duty as God the Holy Spirit enables you. Don't give up. Keep on serving. Keep on seeking. And remember this. You see, we're hindered, but not hopeless. You see, his hope is spelled out for us in verses 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? No, ultimately our hope is Jesus, is being in his presence. But even more important than our being in his presence is that we've taken others with him, with us. And he says, who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming for you are our glory and joy. He's hindered, but he's not hope without hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of something. And it's interesting, one of the early church fathers, Bernard of Clairvaux, said this, perseverance alone is always attacked by the devil because it is the only virtue which has the assurance of being crowned. And Paul talks here of, of, of crowns. And he's, what he's saying to them is, despite persecution and satanic opposition, He's looking beyond the present trials to the joy of being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and being with the Thessalonian Christians who had found the Lord through him. David Guzik notes, Paul assured the Thessalonians that he could never forget them because they were his glory and his joy. His inability to visit should never be taken as a lack of love towards them. Their development was what he hoped for. Their glorification was what he rejoiced in. And their old, when writer says this, the crown of glory for him. When writer says this, the future event Paul is looking forward to is identical with the appearance of every Christian before the Bema or judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.10, where the works of every Christian will be evaluated because of his converts' evident spiritual attainments or growth, Paul feels that this will be an occasion of joy and victory. So even if you don't get to catch up again in this life, you will stand before the throne with those you have invested in. In Philippians, Paul says, 4.1, Paul says to the Philippians, Therefore my and crown, I long to see, same thought again, my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. The reference to a crown carries the image not of a, a royal crown, but it's of a laurel wreath worn on the head in reward for victory at a Greek athletic context. And he compares the, imperish the, the perishable wreath with an imperishable one in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.25. For everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control in all things. They then to do, do it to receive a perishable wreath. The laurel wreaths were made of leaves. Well, what happens where you, the longer you keep a leaf? It withers and it fades and it falls apart. But we, for an imperishable crown, an imperishable wreath the garland of the Lord, 
The Bible speaks of an eternal life like a wreath awarded for an athletic victory. Presenting his converse to Jesus at the second coming is an integral part of Paul's Christian hope. It's his crown. The pictures, the various pictures that the Bible gives of uh, victory wreaths, one of them is the righteous wreath that celebrates salvation's victory over unrighteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's also the unfading wreath of glory that celebrates salvation's victory over defilement in 1 Peter 5.4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's the wreath of life that celebrates salvation's victory over death in James 1.12. We read, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here, the wreath of exaltation which celebrates salvation's victory over Satan and mankind's persecution of believers is what Paul's talking about. And we read in Revelation 2.10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And you notice it's at his coming. As Henry Morris says, it's interesting that each of the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians refers to the return of Christ at the end of each, each chapter. Lord's return, just with thinking this through, he says the things that are going to count on the day of the Lord's return concerns people. God made people to last forever. And from eternity's point of view, what matters is what he has been able to use us to accomplish in the lives of people. I recall a particularly challenging time in our previous church, a time of political opposition, of intrigue. <laughs> uh, I happened to be away on the weekend that it took place, but... Um, there were those that were present that, I, that, that gave testimony to what had happened. And during that time, as we were dealing with the emotions of that, I, I, the thought came to me, but they can't take away the fruit. Even here at some of the toughest moments, um, we've had that same thought come back. They can't take away the fruit. I went back to Gympie in 2016 and we just put on Facebook, we weren't able to be at the service uh, because they had mother-in-law with us and, and uh, she wasn't well enough to, to, to endure the, the whole thing. So we just put on Facebook, look, we're going to be, we're here and we're going to be at the uh, Duck Pond. Don't ask me about the Duck Pond, it's a particular park in Gympie. Just everyone calls the Duck Pond. But we're going to be there at 2 o'clock Anyone who'd like to come catch up with us can. About 20-odd folk came out. And I remember one of the folk came and said, do you, do, do you remember us? Well, yeah, of course I remember them and I knew them by name. But I was a little bit surprised to see them amongst the group that had 
really was the most, the closest fellowship we'd had with folk amongst that group. And it occurred to me later, I'd been, in the first year or two, I'd worked very closely with their son, and he had led them to the Lord. And even though they had been caught up with some of the folk that were caught up in the politics, they were very friendly with them, it never really registered to me that I was their first pastor. That's why they came. They still remembered with fondness that connection. And others, we knew the connections, we, we knew the fruit that had gone on, we knew the changes in their lives and uh, the passion with which not only on that day but over connections in times over the years have kept in touch. That's one thing I wish I was like the Apostle Paul. I'm not a great correspondent um, and I'm a gr not a great networker. Um, I would love to be able to be the one who's always writing, always ringing. <laughs> um, but I really appreciate Paul's heart. You see, this is the fruit. This is your crowning glory. What you have invested in others for eternity. These are the crowns that you will lay at Jesus' feet. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And there's another verse 19 and 20 in Matthew that you know well. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. What is the Great Commission? You know, I've heard some people say, oh, uh, the, the number one priority is evangelism. It's important because without evangelism we don't get discipleship. <laughs> but you see, the Great Commission isn't simply about getting scalps or notches on a belt of people who've made decisions for Christ and who knows what happens to them afterwards. What it is about is investing in people so that they not only come to know the Lord Jesus, but they come to grow in him. And, and we read it, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Convert. And that's where some people get to. Getting converts, baptizing them. But our instruction in the Great Commission is teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So even if Satan is hindering you, Jesus is with you. For what purpose? Well, you can't do that, fulfill that in isolation. It must be in fellowship with other believers, whether it's in a large crowd or a small group. And as we've been doing our course in uh, the land of the Bible, <laughs> regularly John, Dr. John uh, uh, Barnett has been asking this question, who are you taking to heaven with you? No matter what opposition, what hindrance Satan brings to bear against you, if you are investing eternally in the lives of others, that stands the test. 
he cannot take away the fruit. He may keep you apart for a time. But the fruit goes on. As Pastor Don Patterson says, people are God's most treasured creation. We full, he says we fulfill our purpose when we value them the same. I would add, when we invest in their eternal salvation and growth, as Paul puts it, these are our hope, our crown, our joy, our crown of exaltation. But there's a question I want to ask. What crown are you striving for? What's your life about? Is it about fame? Is it about success? Is it about comfort? Or is it about caring? The unsaved and those who are being saved. What is your hope? What is your joy? What is your exaltation? What crown will you have? What wreath of victory will you have to lay at Jesus' feet? Paul says, I've got <laughs> you guys, even though I can't be there to follow through right at the moment, you guys being with me before the throne of grace, that before the, at the Lord's coming, is my joy, my hope, my exaltation. Because he's invested in eternity. Let's just come to him in a word of prayer. You don't have to be an evangelist. Gifted evangelist, that is. <laughs> we are called all called to be evangelists. You, you don't have to be a pastor or have some prominent ministry to be able to fulfill the great, your part in the Great Commission. You simply have to invest in encouraging people, in pointing them, to bringing them to Jesus, and encouraging them to grow in him. May that be your joy, your hope, your crown of exaltation. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. It's not about prominence. It's not even about power or influence. Although if we're fulfilling the Great Commission, then we are having an impact. But we're not trying to impress people. We simply want to care for them as Jesus cares for us. To seek not to be a hindrance to anyone's growth. Instead, to be an encouragement that it causes them to continue on when they face the hindrances of Satan. And Father, help us never to lose sight, for he indeed cannot take the fruit away from us. It is eternal. It is invested in a heavenly deposit. And we thank you that it is not ours for glory, it is your glory. And we get to share in it and to rejoice in it. And as we've been reflecting in the service, it's forever. Because your loving kindness.
Thank you.